This is the One Accord Podcast. I'm Joe Kohler, and we are continuing our How to Ruin Your Church series. This is part four, and we're going to be talking about prayer. Do you as an individual and does your local church have a healthy, vibrant prayer ministry, or does your prayer life stink? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And with me to discuss this important topic is Brother Greg Churchley. Good morning, Joe. How are you, sir? I am well. I am well. Good to be with you. And we've also got the one, the only, Pastor Eric Love. How are you today? I'm doing all right, Joe, and I appreciate that kind introduction. That's right. Well, I, said, <laughs> I was going to open with, uh, you know, I was to speak Spanish in the opening and then like, and every time, every time I go to do it, I'm like, ah, no, that sounds stupid. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, good choice, I guess, to refrain. Well, anyway, it's good to be with you gentlemen as always. And uh, today we're talking about prayer. Prayer is something that I know that I have uh, just been convicted of so many times in my own life of how much I still have to grow. And today is no exception. I'm not coming as an expert I do not claim to be someone who is especially gifted in prayer. In fact, this is an area of my spiritual life that has taken a lot of focus and a lot of attention to try and grow. And in fact, um, as I've uh, really grown in this, I've just been, like I said, convicted about how shallow and superficial much of my prayer life has been as an individual. And then also as I've evaluated just kind of prayer ministries that I've been a part of, meetings, not just in my local church, but I've had opportunity to visit a lot of other local churches about how often I just find kind of selfish, superficial prayers. Do either of you guys, uh, maybe Eric, we'll start with you. Do you guys, is prayer something that comes easy for you? Is this something that is just, uh, um, you know, maybe one of your spiritual giftings or are you kind of more like me? I'll open with the words of Everett Cattell, who said, uh, oftentimes prayer has to be a discipline before it becomes a delight. Mm. And I think that's been my experience. I um, I did not always have the prayer life I do now. My prayer life has uh, has improved um, quite a bit, but it took a lot of work. And I remember thinking uh, how boring uh, my prayers were to myself years ago. I thought, what, what am I even what am I even praying about? And, and, <laughs> you know, just just kind of going through the motions and saying things that you know popped into my head. I didn't really have much of a uh, direction with my prayers. And then I began to study prayer, uh, study what the Bible said about prayer through Jesus and the apostles. And I, I just began to pray the way that they were telling me to. Mm-hmm. And when I practiced that, um, I, I just got better at praying. And, and by better, I mean my prayer had a direction. It wasn't just random stuff coming into my mind. And it wasn't just the same prayer repeated over and over again. It was, uh, it was, it was focused on, um, I think, important things. And I learned that the best prayer is just a prayer that is brutally honest. So I started just being very honest. And and not that I wasn't honest before, but like I, I just was very transparent with God about what was going on and what my, what my situation was. So I, uh, I grew, I've grown in my prayer life. Um, and I, Usually, um, I wake up in the morning and uh, I pray then, and uh, that that sort of sets uh, sets the course for my day. I don't stop praying in the morning. That's just kind of I have a, a specific prayer time that I have in the morning, and then I carry on with prayer throughout the day um, as I as I need to. Right on. Well, I want to ask Greg the same question, but before that, I want to just uh, uh, maybe ask you to elaborate a little bit more. You said you prayed kind of without direction, and then you started seeing the the priorities or principles or or just the direction that reading the scripture. But I'm just curious uh, how you would 
articulate those things. Yeah. And I'm going to, I hesitate even bringing this up, but uh, I will, because I want to be honest. Uh, years ago, I used to lift weights religiously. Um, I lifted weights from the time I was 16 until I was probably in my late twenties, mid to late twenties, whatever it was. And even into my thirties, uh, I, I dabbled in it anyway. When I was younger, I, I actually used to pray that God would help me to make gains, uh, in my, in my weightlifting. <laughs> and that was, I, I feel, I feel embarrassed even saying that, but that was where my priority was at the time was God help me to get bigger biceps, you know, help me to help me to help me to, to get that gain in my bench, help me to get that gain in my barbell curl, whatever. And, and, and rather than, rather than focusing on God's priorities, I was focused more so on my priorities hmm. and and does God care about how much I can bench? Probably not, um, unless I'm winning competitions and devoting those to him and his glory. Uh, which Every I'm guy you doing. meet, though, cares about how much you can bench. So uh, I don't care at all. You don't care? Oh, man. <laughs> man, you, you're missing out, Craig. But, uh, how, much, but, uh, I mean, how much you can bench? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, I, uh, I just, my, my priorities were wrong. I prayed selfishly a lot. So my philosophy is this, and maybe we'll talk more about this later, but we read the word and figure out what God's will is. And mm -hmm. then we pray according to that rather than just uh, knowing what our will is and asking God to give us what we want. So yeah. that's been my, my philosophy with prayer is the Bible says um, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So the, yeah. the smartest way you can pray in the most biblical way to pray is to learn God's will from the word and then pray according to that. So yeah. that's that's that was that's what shifted in my prayer life. Well, thank you for being willing to share that. That is a good example of a selfish uh, kind of uh, uh, shallow prayer, and I can only laugh because my prayer life has been filled with those same kinds of silly things. And yet, yes, if we pray according to the will of God, that we have confidence that He hears us. And yet, a lot of teaching on prayer, a lot of um, just stuff that you would hear, seems to be attempts to try and manipulate God to then give us those gains, whether they're for bicep gains or financial gains or emotional health gains, you know, trying to manipulate God. How can we fast long enough? You know, can we pray the prayer of Jabez uh, in, in the, the exact right way so that God will answer and give us the things that we desire, not that he desires to give them to us, but can we make him do that? And quite frankly, I, that stuff makes me sick to my stomach. So I appreciate you sharing that. How about you, Brother Greg? Would you consider yourself to be a, a gifted natural prayer warrior? Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with Eric that it not a natural prayer warrior. Um, so I'll open with the words of, uh, of the apostles, Lord, teach me to pray. Um, um, for sure. somewhere I've, I've struggled to, to be disciplined in, but at the same time, I've experienced great seasons, especially in corporate prayer. Um, there were a group of men, um, goodness, it's probably getting on to 10 years ago. Now we were, you know, it, it wasn't your typical prayer meeting. This is, a group of men who we were all kind of corporately going through a struggle. We decided we were going to meet together and pray together and fast together. And I, I don't, I don't recall how many months we did that for, but, but the spiritual growth that we could see in, in all of our lives and the unity that we had during this time, it, man, it was, it was beautiful. So while I have struggled, I have, I have got to experience 
times that are just absolutely sweet. Well, I uh, rejoice in hearing testimonies like that, and I think that one of the best ways to get better at prayer is simply to do it, and certainly to grow in these things. Uh, like I, like you guys, I have seen a lot of growth in my own life. I've been part of groups like you're describing. It's wonderful not just to pray on our own, but to pray uh, with other faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and to be able to grow in these things together. And yet, as I pray that prayer that you said, Lord, teach us to pray, and I see Christ's prayer life. I see, you know, I read some of these inspired prayers throughout Scripture. I, I just have been really convicted. I'll say that word again, I think, for the third time about how easy it is for me to be not focused on God's will, but but focused on me trying to get God to do my will. I think a surefire way to ruin your church ministry is to just fill it, just like filling it with bad teaching, filling it with bad music, filling it with bad stewardship. By filling it with bad, superficial prayer, where we're just praying about ourselves, um, that's a surefire way to, to make a, an unhealthy ministry. But I believe the first point of this framework, that every time the church gathers together, not just special meetings like you were just describing, Greg, uh, although those are wonderful, but every time we get together, there should be at least some substantive prayer. Now, that might look different for different groups, but when I read through the scriptures, it just seems like they they often, just like they sang praises to God, they prayed together when they were together. Do you guys think that prayer, and I mean substantive prayer, not just, Lord, we're here, thanks for this day, in Jesus' name, amen, not the rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub um, kind of you know prayer, but actual whoa, 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 substantive whoa. prayer, should we have that in every single meeting? I say yes. Uh, what say you? I, I think su- substantive prayer is um, is absolutely vital. And actually, I believe that prayer, it becomes uh, dreadful and burdensome when the substance is lacking. You go to a prayer meeting and uh, the, the prayers that are lifted up are, you know, pray for, you know, the uh, mole on uh, Aunt Lucille's neck and, and pray for so-and-so's ingrown toenail or something like that. When when the when there's no substance to it, and I'm not saying we can't pray for people's health problems because we should, um, but uh, but if, if there's if there's no substance to it, and by no substance I mean just sort of miscellaneous things, random things that uh, that are not um, they're not really specified in Scripture. Uh, if we're if we're not following Christ's teaching on prayer, and we're not letting that be a guide, then I think we we run into just Praying for, you know, random things and, and, we, and having no direction. I think substantive prayer is, is important. And really what I'm trying to do right now at Raisin Center is getting everybody to be focusing on the same things, uh, getting everybody to sort of have the same direction. And by that, uh, I'm talking about uh, pursuing, a, you know, a, a deeper relationship with God through different, you know, through prayer, through Bible reading, things like that. Um, you know, I'm talking about serving the church, reaching the lost with the gospel, stuff like that. So I, I want to, I'm trying to get us all on the same page. And I think if, if all Christians are on the same page and they, they're all seeking the will of God, then we're all going to be, we all should be praying about the same kinds of things, praying according to the will of God. And that's where there's substance to it. When you get, when the church becomes one mind and one heart, and we're all praying for the same stuff because we all want the same stuff. We all want God's will to be done. I think that's where the substance comes in. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Um, you know, I, I do want to add one thing, you know, Eric, you said it needs to start with a prayer being biblically modeled and amen. But I would add to that. We need to recognize our need. Um, 
you know, most often when prayer is lacking in my life, it's when I've fallen into the trap of thinking that I've got this, um, you know, th- that I, that I'm not a needy person. And so whether it's me individually or us corporately, when we gather, should it be substantive? Yes. Should it be biblically uh, grounded? Absolutely. Why? Because we need, um, you know, w- when we sit down to have this conversation, if we think this conversation is going to go well, that it's going to be God glorifying, that it's going to be edifying to the people that listen, if we think that we're going to drum that up based upon our own talent, skills, and abilities, man, we are lost. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit in these conversations. So yes, when we gather, be it for a church service or we gather for a, a fellowship meal, we need uh, God's Spirit there directing us, enabling us, empowering us. Uh, whatever gifts that are going to be applied in that, in that situation or context. Um, And so when we lose sight of that neediness, it's my, it's my experience. That's when our prayer lives suffer the most. Yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And and so, you know, Eric, what you were talking about having unity in the body of Christ, I think that that is a, a good thing, seeing that we're not just individuals, but a collection, a body. And so praying together for that. And then Greg, um, understanding our place that we, we don't got this. We, you know, we are people saved by grace that we need a savior just as much now as we ever have before. And, um, and so we are, uh, people who are desperate for God to move. Um, and you know, that was, God told them when they were going into the land, right? Don't, when you eat fruit from trees, you didn't plant live in houses, you didn't build. And it's so prosperous and wonderful. Don't forget me. Um, and it's very easy to forget, you know, especially if we have our daily needs met. Um, many people know that they, have entered into seasons of prayer because they have been um, sometimes very painfully reminded of their desperate need for the Lord. And those can be fruitful seasons of prayer, although the, uh, the circumstances and the context can be very unpleasant. Um, but I would add, and it's not in disagreement, um, hopefully this will help us to remember the great privilege that it is for us to draw near to God what it was that Christ did in, in coming and shedding his blood so that the veil could be torn so that we could actually enter um, through this mediator into the Holy of Holies. And a dear brother in Christ, um, our, our music leader, he, he said that before. He says, what other, what other like national leader would just take us? Like, I mean, none of us could just call up the president today and, and think that he would take our call. None of us can just burst into his office and, and, and demand a meeting with the, the, the leader of our nation at any moment. But yet, the king of heaven and earth, we have unfettered, bold access to just draw near to him anytime, certainly in our time of need, but just uh, the privilege that we have. And, and I think, uh, Eric, you, you kind of had talked about that, right? The, this, it's just like this boring, even being bored with our own prayer. Like, why would we be bored with the presence of the Lord? Why would we be um, anything other than just delighted to, to come into his presence and to, uh, to, to be with him to know that he hears us. Um, these are these are great privileges, and when I forget those things, then that's when my my prayer life becomes dry. Maybe that's why Jesus, when Jesus was teaching on prayer in Matthew six, he said, "You're to pray in this way." And the very first thing he said is, "Our Father who is in heaven," which means the very first thing you're supposed to do when you pray is remember who you're praying to. And I think we just sort of sometimes start the prayer by just instantly laying out our requests and without realizing I'm talking to God. I'm talking to a, the God of the universe who has adopted me as his child. And because of that, I can call him my own father. 
which is a very, it, 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 like Paul said in Romans 8, you know, I can call him Abba, Papa, Daddy, and, and really mean that because that really is who he is to me uh, through through adoption. And I think that when you start with that intimacy, that realization, I am talking to my Heavenly Father, that can make all the difference uh, in your prayer life, just first realizing who it is that you're that you're speaking to. You know, in addition to uh, prayers that are boring, um, other types of prayers that I really struggle through are prayers in which, you know, corporate prayers in which the person praying is almost too familiar, almost too lax. They, you know, the reverence isn't there. Um, it's, yeah, this and this and that, you know, yeah, a lack of, a lack of acknowledgement to who we're addressing is a struggle for me at times during corporate prayer. You mean you don't start your prayers to the big guy upstairs? Yeah. 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 Corporate prayer is a tricky thing, right? Um, Yeah. But not tricky. Just it's, it's a sensitive thing. It can be for sure. And you know, there, there are, I know that some denominations of course, uh, you know, are so almost even fearful of God that, you know, the idea of addressing him as father or, or, um, you know, anything other than just kind of, dragging ourselves on our knuckles and, and knees and, you know, keeping our face to the ground, that to them is inappropriate. And there has been a swing, I think, to the other side, particularly in the Protestant circles, where there's almost done away with all reverence. And just as we've talked about so many things before, both are errors, you know, there's errors on both sides. And so if we truly know who it is that we're praying to, like Eric was saying, we will maintain a proper reverence. Um, we won't just kick open the throne room of heaven and be like, hey, God, listen up. Here's our list of stuff that we want, like a bunch of brats, you know, uh, coming to our, our dad, expecting him to just meet our needs. Like, oh, okay, kids, here you go. Um, but that we will come to him as the God of heaven and earth, the one who loved us and gave his son for us and, and will maintain that reverence. But then likewise, we'll, we'll know that he is delighted to do this, that, that this, is, this is the heart of the gospel, reconciliation, that we could be called his children, that he would be our God, that we would be his people, that that he would dwell not just in a building over there or in some distant place, but that he would even dwell in us and that he would want us to, to dwell in his presence. It's, it's so beautiful and glorious. And so, um, yeah, the, the substantive prayer to me um, begins to understand these principles. And Eric, I think you gave us a great segue into um, you know, understanding what I view as the greatest prayer priorities. Um, I, I've taught on this before. I'll link a video that I've got on our channel uh, about just kind of my greater thoughts on that. You articulated it almost exactly the same way that I do. Um, and I, I, I wrote a book on this. Um, I've told people before that the book that I wrote on prayer was actually the, by far of, of the six books that I've written, the most convicting study that I've ever done. Um, it wasn't something that I wrote because I was, you know, again, so gifted in this and that it comes so naturally, but because I do desire to really understand and, and not be bored by my own prayers, be annoyed by my own prayers, see my own superficiality, but, but really understanding what this means. And as Jesus taught this, this prayer that I've repeated so many times, even though he said, don't repeat it, like in this meaningless repetition, that priority, our father who is in heaven, we must know who God is. And so in the book that I wrote about it, part two starts with a study of the names of God. Um, and really the most valuable part of that study for me was seeing how it was that, that this priority of knowing who it is that you're praying to, not just to the big guy upstairs, not just some superficial thing, not, not you know, falling to either of these errors, but truly understanding, knowing who God is, how this principle and this priority really begins so many of the beautiful prayers throughout scripture. 
that you see people crying out, not just necessarily using that same exact title, like a formula. Every time I pray, our father who art in heaven, our father who art in heaven, our father who art in heaven becomes a, a slog. It's boring. But to realize that God has revealed himself in, in many ways and sometimes aspects of his character come out. And so, you know, God, you've provided for us and you are our provider, you know? And, and so we, that maybe is a name or a title that we'll address him with. Um, he's never revealed himself as the big guy upstairs. So we want to stay away from those superficial ones. But as we walk with God and we see his character, knowing who we're praying to is probably the bedrock foundation, this main priority, if we want to make sure that our prayers get past the ceiling. And so, you know, the, the greater that we know God, hopefully the greater um, familiarity we have with him, we're not going to lose that reverence, like you said, Greg. In fact, we should start to see it coming back in. I came out of, you know, when I wasn't born again, out of Roman Catholicism, I had kind of had reverence drilled into my head. You were never supposed to be happy. At least I don't, I couldn't, you know, you weren't supposed to like enjoy God in any way. I think you were just supposed to be terrified, at least in the circles that I, I was raised in. And so when I swung into Protestantism and was actually born again, it was kind of that other thing. Everybody's just so excited, so celebratory. And I, I wondered where that reverence was. Um, and so now I've, you know, at this point in my walk, hopefully struck a better balance. Um, but, you know, as you guys have walked with the Lord for a while, um, you know, getting to know God, you don't just start your prayers with the same title all the time, right? I mean, now you know who you pray to. And so it's good to give him praise at the beginning, address him as he's uh, revealed himself. Um, and Greg, I mean, you, you kind of talked about that. If you're listening to someone in a corporate prayer setting who's praying, like it, it's clear that they know God, does that change things for you rather than just someone who's just kind of, you know, either having that superficial approach or that just kind of wrote saying the same titles over and over and over again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, if I get a sense that, that not only that they know who they're praying to, that's important. I agree. That's, that's primary, but it's closely followed by who they're praying through. You know, we all, we all tag on this, you know, in Jesus name, amen, kind of on the end of our prayer. And I go, man, I, it's the rubber um, stamp. It's the rubber stamp that goes, yeah, this, this is a good prayer because I, in Jesus name, um, I think it's worth slowing down and and thinking about what you're saying there and thinking about the fact that you are praying this uh, through in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and when you are part of a corporate prayer or when you're doing, uh, when you're in private prayer and you're holding on to that, man, how do you not approach that with more reverence? How do you not approach that with, with a weightiness that, um, that is sometimes missing as we're, you know, rub a dub dub. Thanks for the grub. Yeah. Hopefully we're not doing that, but, but hopefully we, not. We get towards that more often than maybe we'd like to think. I think it's why, if I could put my finger on it, why I'm so blessed when I read through the inspired prayers that are in scripture, you read how Paul talks about God and to God and the prayers that he records or, or Jesus, of course, himself or um, James or, or Peter or Elijah or Solomon or David. Guys who who walked really closely with the Lord, it's obvious that they know him. And especially as a younger Christian, I didn't know anything about God. I had just come to believe. I had, you know, very superficial understanding of, of the scriptures. Um, and, you know, I hadn't really gone through a, a lot of the experiences. You know, and you think of like the life of David or the life of Paul, how, how often they saw God show up. Well, that's going to add some depth to their prayer. When they pray about God as their provider, they're not just doing it in this even getting back to what you said, Greg, they're not coming from a position of, of not understanding their own need. They're, they're in a position of, of actually, I have been so dependent on God that when I cry out to him as my provider and I pray, you know, 
God, this is the day that you've made, and I'm thankful for your provision for me, and thank you for being faithful before. That has that has weight behind it of experiential uh, goodness of God. It's not just these cliches or um, platitudes. And a lot of my prayer life in the past has been filled with platitudes, largely because I, I wasn't walking very closely with God, and I didn't I didn't know any better, you know. And and sometimes that's where we're at because we're spiritual infants. Um, other times, maybe we we persist in that spiritual immaturity for other reasons. But again, not not casting blame on anybody else. Just talking about my own growth in these areas, and I still see, like I said, a lot of a lot of growth still to do. I'm no I'm no Moses. I'm no Paul. Um, and so, you know, the experiences that they had when we read how they talk to God, um, it wasn't it wasn't superficial. Uh, it wasn't shallow. There was a real depth of knowing God. And I think that our prayer life, whether you're gifted or not, the better you know God, the better your conversations with him will be, whether you're doing that corporately or privately. And I think one of the most beautiful images we get, not necessarily connected to prayer, but connected to the idea of going before the throne of God is Isaiah chapter 6, right? Um, mm. he, he sees the Lord in the temple and woe is me. Um, the, you don't get any lack of reverence out of Isaiah chapter six. Uh, instead you get, you get a foundational breakdown in the man who is Isaiah as he lays eyes upon God and says, I am undone. Um, no, by the grace of God, he wasn't, uh, to be destroyed then, but, but you surely see reverence as, as Isaiah approaches the throne there. Yeah. And what a, I mean, yeah, what a, what an astonishing vision, but probably a case could be made that if, of all the men living on earth at that time, this is maybe the holiest guy on earth, and yet even he had this yeah. fear. And so, yeah, we never want to lose that that reverence. Um, but Eric, well, that was very well said, you know, on this first principle. Do you have anything else to add? Because I want to walk through these priorities in uh, in the Lord's Prayer in particular, because not because that's the only teaching on prayer, but because, uh, again, these same priorities are seen all throughout both Old and New Testament. But um, you started us off so well. You have any uh, uh, final thoughts on that uh, before we move to the next principle in the Lord's Prayer? What I've told people, um, and I've done this myself, is maybe even before we pray, we read a passage of Scripture that helps us to, to, you know, I say uh, produce or to conjure up, maybe is not the right word, but to, to, to have a sense of awe in our hearts before we even begin praying. I used to, before I prayed, I used to read Revelation chapter 4, which describes the throne room of God, and there's multitudes that are falling down before uh, God, worshiping him, and there are these creatures in heaven who are worshiping God, and there's, it, it's just a, it's a very worshipful uh, environment and you know they're they're saying holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and I will bet you anything that they are not saying that because they were told to they're saying that because they can't help but say that mm-hmm. because they're standing before the one above all and I think that if you you just you have to get it in your mind in your heart who this is that's why I think meditation just biblical meditation not Eastern meditation but biblical meditation is so valuable because it it I think the deeper you meditate on who God is as revealed through his word, the the bigger God becomes from your perspective. And the bigger God becomes, the the more uh the the more our prayer life is going to improve because you your prayer life stinks if your view of God stinks. 
Hmm. If your view of God is is humongous, and you and when I say humongous, I mean you you are dwelling on the attributes of God, the, the wisdom of God, the power and majesty of God, and realize I get to talk to this person, I get to be in an intimate relationship with this person. He's adopted me as his as his son. You have to get your heart, I think, prepared. I'm not saying you can never just jump into prayer because sometimes you have to because there's just no time to sit there and prepare your your heart for a half an hour or whatever. But I think there's value in reading the word first. Isaiah 6 is a great chapter. Revelation chapter 4, there's passages uh, in Ezekiel and in Daniel that can really help to put into perspective who it is we're talking to. That can really help. That can be preparatory. Uh, for uh, for our prayer life. Let's say I don't know what you mean by meditate. I, I I know what you mean by Eastern meditation, but let's say I'm a person who goes, okay, I hear I hear Pastor Eric say I need to meditate on the Word. What does that mean? It just simply means you're thinking deeply and and a lot about who God is and, and who God is as revealed in Scripture. And I think it's as simple as that. In Isaiah, or not Isaiah, in Psalm 11, uh, 111, verse two, it says. Um, you know, the works of the Lord are pondered by all who delight in them. So the idea is that you 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 think deeply and you think a lot about what God has done and who he is. And if you if the more you think about that, I think the more God opens your mind to to just how great he is. So I think there's uh I think there's there's value in and see this is this is what I would say. We don't we don't uh, we don't just automatically see this stuff. We don't we don't see this stuff um, for what it really is right off the bat. I think God sort of gradually reveals it. That's, I think that's why David in Psalm 119, he prayed, God, open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law. Because you don't, you don't initially see it. You can see some things. But I think God opens our minds more and more to just how great he is. And I think as we meditate, and this I know this from experience, uh, as we as we think deeply and often about the things of God, God opens our minds and gives us a greater understanding and appreciation of those things. So, if I hear you right, what you're suggesting is um, prior to sitting down for a private prayer in the morning or whatnot, um, you pick you know Isaiah six or you pick a Psalm. And you read through that, consider that, and then enter into prayer. Is that would that be the practical application of that? That's how I would describe it. Yeah, a, a passage okay. of scripture that specifically it it reveals something about God, or like it it um it it provides us with reverence for God. Something that you know, there's some chapters that'll do that, and some that that, that may not do that as much. But I, uh, Revelation four is a good one. Um, Isaiah six, uh, Ezekiel, you know, like maybe the first couple, maybe the first chapter, first two chapters. There's there's some stuff there. Daniel, Daniel chapter seven uh, is is another good one. I think I would think that a lot of the prophets would be good places generally to steer people, right? Yeah, Job. I mean, even the even the book of Job, the last few chapters where God is is talking to Job, and afterwards Job's just shocked that God spoke to him, and he says he says a. Uh, Okay, I'm I'll wrong. My mouth you're now. right. I'll shut up. <laughs> I'm bad. You're good. I stink. You don't. Uh, and, and he just—he's so humbled by the fact that God—God God spoke to him, and he just—he's just shocked. Oh my goodness! God just talked to me. I've heard of you, but I've now I've seen you with my own eyes. 
what in the world has happened here? Mm-hmm. And I think we can get to that point. I think we really can be that reverent, but we just, we have to pour our minds and hearts into this. I think God will honor that. Yeah, I think it's hard when when most people's reading tends to be a more superficial reading, right? Um, I can, you and I could read Isaiah 6 and, um, you know, you kind of, you could say all the words without reading it slowly enough. And so when you say meditate, I'm, and I'm in complete agreement, I'm not disagreeing at all, but there's a way to read, again, I'll just say Isaiah 6, where your mind skims across the idea, but then there's a way to slow down and read it, placing yourself, you know, standing next to him and, and seeing this and, and allowing yes. the weight of the reality to sink in. So, um, yeah, maybe a, a reading, a more emotive reading, maybe. Sure. I use that word carefully. That's a good suggestion. I would do that. A lot of this language does make some people nervous, unfortunately, and the, the enemy loves to um, take biblical things and, and twist them around. Um, some people may or may not know this, but, you know, I was a, kind of a practicing Buddhist temporarily uh, for, for about two years before I actually came to know Christ. And and so, yeah, meditation is is very different in the Eastern meditation. Um, it's more of a trying to empty your mind, whereas what you're describing is filling your mind with, with exactly. God's Word. And really yeah. dwelling on, ruminating, almost, uh, I've heard other people talk about like, um, like a dog really chewing on a bone, just really like saturating yourself um, in the words that are there. And because the word is the same, people think that, oh, then now you're getting all weird and, and, and whatever mystical. Yeah. Paul says he, he would rather, he would rather worship with his mind. Right. Yes. And so, yeah. So filling our mind rather than emptying our mind, you're not just trying to get in touch with the universe. You're trying to dwell on who God is. And that is a great distinction to, uh, to understand. And so I think you guys articulated well, and thanks, uh, thanks for asking the clarification clarifying question, Greg, because uh, it is, it's e- really easy to misunderstand that. And, and remember, remember the word meditation is used throughout scripture too. This is not, yes. this, oh, this yeah. is something that yeah, actually is, sure. is, is all over scripture. Yes. No, I think the enemy wants us to get away from that. And, and I think he delights when we just kind of superficially read through things. But, you know, some people, you know, they hear even Greg, what you just said, and they're like, oh, that sounds like Lectio Divina. And you're trying to put yourself in scripture and it's super weird and mystical and whatever. <laughs> To try and understand and get, I mean, God inspired these visions of who he is. These, these, you know, I would even add, you know, to the ones that you guys said, I think you gave great examples, but when uh, God reveals himself to Moses, you know, and, and Moses is like, show me your glory. He's like, you can't see it, but I'll cover you with my hand. I'll pass by and he declares his name. Beautiful. I read these beautiful passages. Just think about these. Think about how God has chosen to reveal himself and then realize that's whose presence we are in. You know, God is the same uh, as, as he was, and, and we have an even more intimate opportunity to draw near to him than Isaiah did, than Moses did, because of what Christ has done. And that gets back to that principle that you said, Greg, who we're even praying through. We had the opportunity not to come, you know, just because of our own piety or our own righteousness, but because of the perfect righteousness of Christ, we can draw nearer um, than anybody has ever really had privilege before. That veil has been torn. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth and an amazing privilege. And to slow down and to fill our minds with this, I, I, uh, Eric, I think you're 100% right. We can fill our minds with these truths and, and, and get not a, not a drummed up reference, but an actual genuine reverence and realize what a beautiful thing it is. And that, I think, will begin to have effect on the rest of our prayers. The second principle that Jesus taught, and I think it's a great lead into it, because if we, if we don't understand that, if we're still selfish we're thinking, um, you know, shallowly. We're, we're only thinking about ourselves. We're, we're still being more man-centered rather than God-centered. 
of course we're going to come in and we're going to be thinking about, like you said, the ingrown toenail and the mole on, you know, aunt, uh, I can't remember what aunt you said, aunt Lucille. Becky Lucille. All right. But, um, get, and get of course we should, and, and I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you mentioned, we should pray for these things. The Bible does tell us, you know, is anybody among you sick? We should, we should pray. This is, this is something that we should pray for. However, when we're so focused on our own needs and the needs of other people around us, we forget that prayer is ultimately God-centered. And Jesus goes from praying our Father who art in heaven, understanding who we're praying to, to the very first request that is made. And I've, I've heard it taught incorrectly that hallowed be your name is, is really still a, a continuation of knowing that God is holy and it's ascribing to him you know, the, the, the qualities and the attributes of who he is. But that is actually the first request. The first thing that Jesus taught us to prioritize is not us coming and asking about the things that we think we need. He gets to that, but it's later. He says, pray, hallowed be your name. And that language is speaking about God's plan from the beginning to make his name feared and revered and reverenced in all the earth. And so it should start with us. Do we first fear and reverence the name of our God? And do we then desire that others would come to know him and to worship him. And so, you know, the superficial prayers that I've prayed, have, have, they always begin with me. They always start with me. And I always want God to come into my life and do something for me. But Jesus taught, well, actually we should, when we know who God is, the first thing that we should pray is not that God would just show up and answer all my prayers according to what I want, but that I would desire that God, there are people who still don't know you. There are people who are in rebellion against you. There are people who do not reverence you or who do not see you as you are high and lifted up. And so, Father, I pray that your name would be hallowed in all the earth. I pray that everybody would turn to you through your son and no longer be unbelieving, but believe. This is a gospel-centered prayer. This is a kingdom-centered prayer. This is a God-centered prayer. And that is so often lacking, I think, in individual prayers and in corporate prayers that we get so caught up in the superficial stuff and again, it's not that those things don't matter, but they just don't have that eternal weight of glory. Uh, what do you guys think about that, of, of really prioritizing? We know who we're praying to, and now this, the first thing that we ask God to do, it has nothing to do with us, but because we already know him, we want him to be known in all the earth until the knowledge of him covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Yeah, I think keeping the first things first is important, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but you know, when you, when you keep the first things first, the second things, they fall in place, and so... Yeah, when God is being glorified, um, but is Aunt Lucille's mole going to be taken care of? Well, one one way or the the other, Aunt Lucille, if she's in Christ, will be taken care of. Um, so yeah, let let's if we say that what we're about, the chief end of man is to is to is to glorify God, then let's keep that the first thing. Yeah, I think if you if you realize again who God is, then you want to glorify Him because you realize how could you not, given given who he is given his his power his wisdom his love his compassion i think it's natural when you when you understand you know and, and when i say understand god i don't mean i of course i don't mean exhaustively but truly you do every you know if you're a christian then you understand god truly to some extent and if you do then you want other people to know who he is you want his name to be glorified throughout the earth and 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 not only that, but you you're you're focused on him and not you. And again, it's not wrong to ask God to help us with things. We're commanded to do that. Um, we're, we're we're told to do that over and over again. But um, but I it's about know, where our affections lie, right? Um, yeah. 
it, it is our passionate desire it is what drives us, motivates us, moves us the next thing on Aunt Lucille's list of issues, or is it the name of God? Is it the expansion of his kingdom? Um, if, if our heart is set on, on that good, our affections are going to rightly align moving down the line. Um, but when our, our affections are set on the wrong thing, set on us or, or whatever it happens to be, um, and everything else is going to be out of line. That's it. That, that's no. That's exactly right. Is what you know. What I um, you know. What I'm thinking about all the time, and what I what I love is what I prioritize. And if I'm if I have a mind centered uh, mind centered God God centered mind and God centered heart, uh, then yeah, then that that's gonna that's gonna affect all my desires, and, and it's gonna make me desire uh to to spread you know to spread God's word and I'll tell you um when I I think my most fruitful season of evangelism is when I was uh really wanting to make God known in other words I was really wanting to glorify him and it's not that I didn't you know really it's not that I didn't at all before then or or after but it's just it was like I just became I was I'll say obsessed maybe maybe that's maybe I'm exaggerating but I'm I guess I think you get the idea of of making God known. I wanted people to know and understand Him, and I really believe that that the maybe the majority of people are not interested in God because they don't they really don't know who He is. And I realize it's more complex than that, and there's sin involved, and I get all that. But I think people, so many people, are not interested in God among other reasons because they don't really know who he is they don't they don't appreciate his his goodness and i think if they did i think if they really if they really came to understand that at least better than they do now i think they would be driven to uh to to know god i i would venture so far as to say that if you were to put each and every individual in isaiah's situation let them stand there you're going to get one of two reactions right you're going to get intense devotion, love, fear, or you're going to get intense the opposite. You're going to get intense hate. They're, but but they're not going to be indifferent, right? Exactly. Now, certainly to see God, there will be a yeah, there will be a response one way or the other. And um, yeah, to to desire that God's name would be revered, hopefully we want people to to change right from from that hatred towards that that love that that we would grow and and most of us would be like Isaiah that we would say woe is me, or because we have understood what Christ has done for us, that we are so delighted that we understand that we're not going to be undone because of God's glory. But even in the book of Revelation, you know, it's it's always astonishing to me how John, you know, if, if any of the disciples were seemingly the closest to John, uh, to Jesus during his earthly ministry, it's probably John. It seems like he was the one who, you know, reclined uh, on Christ at the Last Supper. Um, even when Peter was, Peter often was the one asking questions, but, you know, when he really <laughs> uh, really was unsure. He'd be like, "Hey, John, why don't you ask? Why don't you ask Jesus this time?" Um, and then, and then he, John gets this revelation of the exalted, risen Christ, and he falls on his face as as a dead man, you know. And 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 so um, to 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 see that vision is something that we should want. And then Eric, as you said, to want others to see that that's really where where Christ is moving. If we know Him, we should want others to know Him and to realize that there are so many people who don't worship the Lord. This should consume our thoughts and minds. And quite frankly, 
again, I don't say this as, as judgment, but I, I do hope that it comes as a conviction to many people who are maybe listening to this. We are so worldly minded that we're walking by what we see and we're not really walking by faith. We're not really trusting in what God said. And if we're going to be honest, if we just read our Bible from beginning to end and do it over and over and over again, what is God more interested in? Is he more interested in Aunt Lucille's mole or is he more interested in his name being worshiped and glorified in all the earth? So we had in the back of the church uh, where the doors are, people can come and go through the doors. Uh, we had a this um, stand with a piece of paper on it, and it was basically to write your prayer requests down. And then I would, I would take the sheet home and and maybe make copies so other people could um, could pray. And uh, I, I I kept reading through this list, and it was stuff like, you know, heal me of a cold, or you know, help me you know have traveling mercies to to such and such a place and 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 it was it was like a lot of stuff like that it was basically for people that you know had, weren't feeling well and and I realized there there are definitely times we need to pray for people like that there are people with serious medical needs we need to pray for people like that but um but I one Sunday I said you know I keep I keep reading your the, the list of prayer requests and I have to say I am really disappointed because there is not hmm. there's nothing on this list about God, help me to be more holy. Help me to be more loving. Help me to share the gospel with people. Um, nothing like that. Just, hey, help people that have colds. And that is lame. It's it's yeah. lame. And I, I, I don't feel bad saying that. You know, you're going to probably get over your cold. You're probably going to be okay. Um, but, you know, there, there are other things we need to be considering here. And if we keep making these types of things our priority, then really we're, we're there's a there's some kind of disconnect between us and God. Our what our priorities are really reveals well it reveals where our hearts are. And if our heart is not about God's will and and the things that He's concerned about, you know you know what it means to know God actually. Uh, Jeremiah twenty two. Jeremiah twenty two says, and I'm summarizing: to know God is to share His concerns. And if I don't I have the same concerns that God has. I do not know God. And that's a serious that's a serious thing to consider. So we need to share God's concerns through his word, through just our relationship with him. I think who you spend time with is who you become. If I'm spending time with God, his concerns will become mine. And uh, if if they're not, I got to ask myself, am I even walking with God at all? You know, you it's funny you say, you know, say you say it's lame and I I agree with you. And it's funny and it's sad at the same time because we all know it's lame, right? And how do you know we know it's lame? Look at the health of our prayer ministries. Look at look at prayer gatherings, prayer meetings in the church. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't churches out there with healthy prayer lives. Praise God for them. But generally speaking, the idea of people gathering on a Wednesday or gathering for nothing but prayer it's almost it's almost non-existent. So we all know it's lame. We're just not really. It doesn't appear that we're all that interested in doing what it takes to make it not lame. As one author said, he said um, the reason why people don't go to prayer meetings is because they've been to prayer meetings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> amen. Yeah. Seems like often, I'm not sure which one. <laughs> often the the only meeting that is less attended than the prayer meeting is the evangelism meeting, and I think that these are both related to each other. You know, and and 
And so look, I, I don't want to create, and I know you guys don't either. I mean, Eric, it's it's a bold statement to tell people that these are lame. And, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I appreciate at least your willingness to try and shepherd the, the flock that, that the Lord has um, put you over and to try and help them realize that we can be we can be growing in our depth here. Um, but I don't want to create like a hierarchy of saying, well, how, how important does something need to be before God cares? Um, I just want to make sure that we're spending more time and more priority praying that those who are under the wrath of God would come to know Christ than we are about our colds. Does that mean that we never pray about our colds? No, I'm not saying that. Um, and, and you know what, hopefully as a leader uh, for a, pr- a prayer meeting, hopefully I don't need everybody else to remind me that I need to pray for God's name to be hallowed in all the earth. Hopefully I remember that. What I do need is I don't know everything that's going on in everybody else's life. So I, I do have some expectation, um, you know, when we do our corporate prayer and we, we take prayer requests, I do have some expectation that people are kind of letting me know the, uh, um, the smaller things that have escaped my notice. Because hopefully the thing that never escapes my notice is that God's name should be proclaimed in all the earth. Um, I don't always know about, you know, Aunt Lucille's health or the ingrown toenail problems. Or um, again, certainly there are more significant things. And I do want to know about those things because I do want to pray about those as well. And I don't think that prayer should be a small part of our life. I think it should be a huge part of our life. I think that, you know, the, the ideal of praying without ceasing, um, we, we start from the big things and then we also can, as we mentioned, people by name. These things are on their, their heart and mind. We, I, I want to I pray about those as well. So um, I just don't want to overemphasize. And, and, and unfortunately, I've been a part of prayer meetings where all we're doing is praying about ingrown toenails. There's nothing else. And it's just like, oh, so-and-so has the sniffles. Let's, uh, God, if you could just move. We, we've seen you move heaven and earth before. You've moved every mountain. You've parted every sea. And God, we know that you can cast these sniffles back to hell where they came from. I'm just like, oh, brother, I, this, this is not a meeting I'm coming to again. I'm, I've had enough of this nonsense. Um, I can tell you've prayed so that I think prayer that I, before, Joe. <laughs> oh, with gusto. Yes. Uh, with all my, with all, with, with faith much greater than a mustard seed, my friend. Um, uh, anyway, that moves, I think, into the, the third principle. And Greg, you were using some of this language already of, uh, we know who we're praying to. We want his name to be hallowed on, in all the earth. We want his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of our prayers, we're asking God to establish our kingdom and we're asking God to accomplish our will. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, that's the complete opposite of what Jesus is teaching. But I think many of the prayer meetings I've attended, God, you know, give me this job I'm looking for. Help me get this house that I want. Help me to be, you know, help me get those bigger biceps and make those gains. Help me do these things. Um, and Lord, let my will be accomplished in my life um, for the sake of my comfort rather than for the sake of the glory of your name. You guys agree with that or you think that's stated too strongly? Yeah. No, I. that's my experience. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of that. Um, so yeah, it's. I think maybe it's driven by church culture too that uh, uh, that we are, you know, we're so special and I, I guess in a way we are. I'm not denying that, but um, God just is you especially. Yeah, true. Oh, you're special, Eric. Well, I, I didn't say it, um, but uh, <laughs> no, I'll say it, I, and I'll say I it did. again. Yeah, I yeah. did. <laughs> um, no, the but, church uh, culture, right? That we we can we can build these cultures, and uh, and that is about self. It's unfortunate. That's what I'm talking and I don't, about church sure. church cultures that are about like you know just you are you are the center of God's universe. You know, God, if, if you were the only person alive, Jesus would have still died for you. And um, you know, I just these just 
acting like, you know, we are at the center of it all. I think that's a, that's a yeah. big mistake. Well, even as we were talking about last time on, on stewardship, right? We, we, God, make sure that everybody is giving until it hurts so that we can build a bigger building than we need while all these orphans and widows are uncared for. But Lord, we don't care about them because they're not part of what we're doing here. Like that kind of self-centered stuff, it makes me crazy. And, and I, it makes me crazy because I know how easy it is for me to do it too. Like I'm not, I'm not just casting stones at other people. Like I see that in my flesh because of course I want to be comfortable. Of course I do. Like my flesh wants that just like everybody else's does. And yet this is what Christ is telling us. Like we, this doesn't necessarily come natural to us. Um, and we need to repent. We need to change. We need to reprioritize. And so certainly, you know, if I'm uh, uh, just a member of the body, uh, you know, I don't have to be like the prayer leader or whatever else. I can make sure that I'm trying to focus on these things and I can you know, remind people of this. And I can try and include that in my prayers, praying for our persecuted brethren. You know, I mean, how often do we forget to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted, who live in lands where it is, it is truly difficult, truly difficult. And we're so focused on, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, we hit budget so we can uh, replace the carpet in the sanctuary or something. Cause we're so tired of that, you know, that dull drab color. And we just not need to have, you know, bring some new life into the sanctuary. Like what kind of stuff are we even talking about? And uh, I've contributed to cultures like that before by being so focused on myself. And, and, and I, I want to, I want to transcend that. I want to be more kingdom minded. I don't want to just pray for the local church that I am a leader of and, or a leader in. Uh, I, I don't want to just focus on that. I want to pray about the body of Christ everywhere. And um, it takes a while to change that culture. And I don't think that that's something, even once you think you've got it, you know, you can fall right back into it. It's very, very easy because it's so easy for us to walk by what we see rather than by faith, realizing that God is doing so, so many bigger things than just my individual household and my own individual preferences and, and lists. Yeah. One thing that's definitely helped me when during seasons when my prayer life is more healthy than, than not um, is, is prayer journaling. And I, I know not mm. everyone's a writer. I happen to, uh, express myself and gather my thoughts best when I'm writing. And so, yeah, I have a, I have a prayer journal and um, being able to maintain priorities is a lot easier when you're actually writing it down as you're, you're really thinking through things and you can go back to, you know, what did I pray about last week? Um, it, it's right there. So I don't know if that, if that's helpful for anybody, I, I know that writing is kind of a lost art, at least in our culture, but um, it's, it definitely improves my prayer life when I'm actively prayer journaling. I think what I think whatever encourages you to pray more is going to be probably the right thing to do. And I, I've shared different strategies or different techniques to uh, to encourage people to pray. If you're falling asleep praying with your eyes closed, then open your eyes. Uh, stop closing your eyes. Um, why would you do that? Why would it's anyone way too, do that? It's way too obvious. Yeah. I think, be, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think pray, I, I think there's, there are ways that people pray and they think they have to pray those ways and they, and they probably shouldn't be. Um, when Jesus prayed, he, he lifted up his hands and, and his eyes to heaven. Um, yeah. So I think we, I think there's, there's some truth to that, but also like, you know, sometimes if you, if you want to maybe have a better prayer life, why don't you pray while you're walking rather than just sitting? Uh, maybe you know change your change your environment uh go outside or um you know go into a, a room of your house that's less distracting that you can where you can focus more on god 
journaling is an excellent thing to do. Uh, some of the greatest saints in church history have journaled. I think that's a very, very helpful thing to do. I think whatever can enhance. Yeah, Greg Churchley's one of them. He Greg is Churchley is on one that of list. the saints of all time. Yeah. He is. He's one of the one of those. Yeah, but yeah. but I think that it's whatever whatever enhances it. Do it. I mean, if you, I, you know, if you have to build a treehouse and and go up there and and use that as your uh, your treehouse prayer sanctuary, then do it. But whatever whatever it takes. I haven't tried that one. All the other ones you've said I've tried. I haven't done the uh, the treehouse prayer sanctuary, but maybe I'll do That's that. That's why your prayer life's so poor, Joe. <laughs> to be, hey, it's getting it's getting better, Greg. Um, but uh, maybe I'll engage some of my sons and we'll uh, uh, build a, a, a treehouse prayer for it or something. Sure. Um, but the journaling one is a is a is a great suggestion, Eric. All your suggestions are great as well. I, I have seen um, wonderful seasons in my own prayer life, and again, helping you to focus. I think uh, even just remembering. You know, we ask God for so many things. God answers so many prayers, and then we, we forget to come back and thank him. And if you review your prayer journal, go back and see, um, there are so many opportunities to praise God and, and thank him for meeting these needs and answering these prayers. And, you know, sometimes he, he delays a long time. Sometimes he says, wait. Sometimes we see why he said no, and it makes a lot more sense of why he didn't give us that job or, or, or you know, open this door or, you know, why he shut this door instead. But it's good to go back and say, God, I, I haven't even come back and said, thank you for all these prayers that you've answered. Cause I said them, I forgot about them. You answered. And then I just kind of went off. So focused on what I think my next thing is. Um, and then again, that leads into the the next principle, uh, in that prayer, give us this day, our daily bread. And, and it's talking about provide for what we need now. Um, I think that many people misunderstand this. Um, you know, we, we do focus on the things that we think that we need. So here is the aspect in Christ's teaching that he tells us, look, if you need something, we should, we should ask about it. But I think that what many people have failed to realize is that this was in the context of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus was talking about seeking first the kingdom of God. And so all the priorities up until this point are all about, look, we don't need to live. If we're going to trust God, we know him, we understand who he is, we understand what he's doing in the world, we know what he wants us to do, we know that he's going to give us what we need in order to do that, then I don't need to say, hey, God, hang on a second. I got to go make sure I've got enough bread to eat. I got to make sure I got the right clothes and I got the right place to live. I got all the stuff that I think I need. At this point, we say, God, provide for what we need today so that we'll be free to pursue what you've told us to pursue with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, trusting that you're going to provide what we need. Literally, you could rain down bread from heaven if that's what we need. You could give us water from the rock if that's what you need. You could send a raven with meat in his beak to us if that's what we need. Um, and I think that many Christians, especially in modern America, we, we don't really pray this. Um, and largely because we've got bank accounts with money in it, we've got pantries filled with food. Um, we've lost some of that desperation, even getting back to that word that you were talking about, Greg, of a people who genuinely understand how needy we are. And I, I saw this in kind of a very vivid way when I was in Ethiopia, um, to see people who truly were trusting in God for their daily provision. Um, and yet in America, we, we have so much more. I mean, even the poorest among us have more than the richest person I saw in Ethiopia. And yet we can be so easily distracted by, we just tell God, well, God, I can't, I don't really have time to do the things that you're asking me to do. All the stuff I'm reading about in your word, I don't have time to do any of that because I got to go and make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, increasing my net worth and making sure that my 401k is, is well, well funded and all that stuff. And I don't really think that we've really grasped hold of this reliance upon God and saying, God, I want your name to be hallowed in all the earth. I know you. I want others to know you. I want to live for your glory in all things. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give me what I need today so that I can pursue your agenda with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm not saying that we all should quit our jobs. Some of us, you know, we have to work. We want to eat. Like all those priorities we do, but we take with it that kingdom mindset. And that's what I think this provision is about. A lot of times when we're asking for him to meet our needs, it's just because that's what we want. That's just what we, that's what we would find more comfortable. You guys, again, do you think I'm overstating it or are you in agreement with uh, how I'm articulating that? Yeah, one thing. So I was down on a mission trip to Guatemala this past summer and you know prayed a lot with the with the Guatemalan people down there and one thing that struck me in their prayer uh, they prayed very intentionally every time you know thank you for the lives of these people um and and it strikes you I don't know in the American context it's not as striking excuse me but when you're down there and, and death is a thing that's a lot closer than it is here in America, as they prayed, you know, Lord, thank you for the lives of these people. Man, it it just struck me in, in such a different way. And, and so, yeah, that that daily bread connected with the realization that, you know, we're driving down the street one day down there in Guatemala, and we're passing this scene on the road where this lady, she, she must have been in her 70s and 80s. She had just been struck by a car that had driven past. And open gash down her face, and it looked like you could see skull. And the ambulance—the ambulance was going to be there in a half hour, forty-five minutes, maybe something like that. Um, life, life was so much more fragile down there. And as as they were thanking the Lord for for this precious thing that that is, um, man, that that's something that's going to stick with me. I I believe that when we uh, when we ask God to meet our needs, um, I think that's what I think what we're what we're doing by asking that is we are um, acknowledging our dependence on God, and I think that's what God wants from us. I think of there's there's times in the Old Testament where God was offended at Israel because rather than going to Him for help, they went to another nation. For example, uh, uh, God, um, he told Israel, he said, never make an alliance with Egypt. If you make an alliance with Egypt, then you're, I, I'm, I'm going to be offended by that. And when the Babylonians were uh, on their way to uh, Jerusalem, uh, there was an alliance made uh, between uh, Judah and uh, Egypt, if I remember correctly. And God was very offended by that. He said, now that you've made an alliance with them, let's see if they can help you. And uh, if you know the story, um, Babylon went to Egypt and and hammered them into the ground and then went to Jerusalem. Uh, so that didn't work out. But the whole point I'm making is God wants us to depend on him. God hmm. God asks us to to depend on him. And when we, when we choose to depend on him and we ask him for things like that, it's kind of like a kid who goes to his dad when he needs help and he says, dad, I, I really, I need you to do this for me. I need you to help me with this. You know, the dad really appreciates that because it shows that his son respects him and his son trusts him that, that he can meet those needs. And I think when we go to God, I think God really respects that. He really, he appreciates that we do that because we're showing him, I trust that you can do this. I have confidence that you can do this. And like you said, we do need to be seeking his kingdom first as our first priority. Uh, but and if we're doing that, we can have confidence that God will meet our needs. But I think God wants us to bring our needs to him. I think it was, uh, was it 
Paul that said, uh, make all kinds of requests to God. I think God, uh, God appreciates when we do that. So I think it's, it's like a reciprocal kind of thing. It's, it's, we appreciate when God blesses us. But I think there's a, I don't know if appreciation maybe is the right word, but I think God as a father um, delights in us bringing our requests to him. And he, yeah. he appreciates it's a, that. It's a recognition of reality, right? Um, yeah, exactly. As we, as, as we are dependent, we are recognizing the reality of our neediness. It's, it's, not, it's not an artificial neediness. It's not a, it's not a neediness that says, well, I, I could depend upon God or I could depend upon something else. It's a recognition of the truth that truly I can't do this. I, it, it has to be from God because it can be from nowhere else. And it's so easy to, to have that mindset when it's something really big, but it's something else to say, Lord, listen, um, I need your help during this hour long conversation with my brothers to not say something stupid because I don't really have the ability outside of you to not say something stupid and I'm going to regret. True. Amen. <laughs> we're still waiting for the, we're still waiting for the meeting where you don't say something stupid. Right? So we're, we're, brother. We're, we're joining you in that hope. Now there's, it, you know, pray there's for a, me, brothers pray for me. I think it was in Deuteronomy eight where, where God said, when you go into the land and you, you take over the land and you, uh, I think maybe you're talking about this earlier, um, Joe, you take over the land and you're taking over these, basically, you know, uh, other people's stuff in, in one sense. Um, and you're, and you, you become wealthy and you, you, you be able to generate all this wealth and property and things. Um, God says, remember who gave you the strength to do all that? Remember who gave you the ability to work, the, the physical capacity to work, to earn your living, to make this wealth? Remember that I'm the one that gave you that. So even if someone thinks, well, I'm, I'm, I'm independent, you know, I, I just, I work hard and I, I provide for myself and I got things figured out. Well, the only reason you're even able to work, the only reason you're able to provide for yourself is because God is giving you the health and the strength to do that. And if he didn't give you that, you would be just as needy as anybody else. So I think to, to, to have yeah, that ask, mindset. Ask the, where, ask the quadriplegic how how much they, you know, how much they're able, right? Um, that yeah. can, our ability, our strength, our, our charisma, whatever it is, right? That can vanish in an instant, except for the Lord. That's right. Even the air that we breathe, none of us made our own oxygen or put our own lungs in our chest. Like God, God has given us everything. We're dependent upon him for everything. He is the necessary being. We are contingent upon him. If he stopped willing our existence, um, we would, we would, we would be done in an instant. He could snatch our breath from us. Um, and our, you know, our, we're, we, we are so fragile and we forget that. Um, I've said to people before that I, I feel, and this is true, that I learned more about God by becoming a father than than even going to seminary. No, God uses that language. That's how this prayer begins, our Father. And so, yes, God delights to provide what we need. Um, and just like I delight to provide for my children, they don't even need to ask me you know, to provide dinner for them. I want to provide food for them. I want to give them things. Um, but when they come to me with their wants, they Dad, I want more candy. Dad, I want candy. Dad, I want candy. Dad, I want this. I want that. I want that. It, that can be frustrating and annoying. And God talks about this in his word. He says, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. There are some things that God is pleased. He would be pleased to give us. And we should bring all sorts of requests to him. But then there are other things that you, you don't have because you ask and you want to spend it on your, on your passions, on your own, you know, various lusts and, and impure motives. And so the motive of what we're asking for 
Um, do we really want God to provide what we need? And the reality is, is that God does that. God has given us what we need. And we have, you know, getting back to kind of the, the discussion that we had on whether apostasy is a possibility. Uh, we talked a lot about the parable of the sower. One of the things that Jesus said chokes out the life of individuals is the, the pursuit of comforts, the pursuit of the things of this world. I'm concerned. Uh, I'm concerned that, that much of modern Christianity has really focused so much that we, we just tell God we're not interested in his will. We're not interested in picking up our cross and following him. We're not even interested in just thanking him that he has provided for us our daily bread. But we're like, God, you know, I got some other stuff I got to do that's way more important. And we've set our minds on earthly things. And we think that our responsibility um, is to build our own kingdoms, um, which won't last. You know, we're so focused on our career, our educational attainments, um, living in the right neighborhoods, um, just all these other things that we've elevated that, that people say is good and right, that quite frankly, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't think God cares all that much about. Um, and, you know, I, I, I even saw a guy who was, you know, uh, serving in youth ministry. Um, who, who got himself in a bunch of trouble because he asked people, you know, as the graduating seniors were going, how much time they spent praying um, and just seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, you know, should we be going to college or should we maybe be pursuing the mission field or something? And I mean, parents were irate with this guy because, you know, they're like, why are you trying to sabotage their future? Like, I'm not trying to sabotage their future. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to ask if we've spent any time praying that, that maybe the Lord wants us, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. If God wants us to have Christian doctors and lawyers and, and um, you know, engineers and all that stuff, praise God. But, but can we pray about that? Or are we just looking for what does the path seem like to us that is most comfortable? And, you know, like, isn't that something we should wrestle with as, as Christians? Um, you know, to, to go and try and reach those so that God's name would be hallowed in all the earth. Like, and even if we're going to be Christian doctors and engineers and pilots and, and whatever else, can't we still maintain those same priorities that we want to glorify him and whatever it is that we're doing? But a lot of these decisions are made, if we're being honest, simply about what's the most comfortable life for me and my family? How can I make the most money? What do I enjoy doing? And again, that's, that's what everybody in the world is pursuing. And Christ has called us to something different. And so if we trust him to provide what we need, well, then we're going to be able to follow these other pursuits. And that gets to the, you know, this this really uncomfortable thing that he says after that is, forgive us as we forgive others. Um, in that prayer, you know, many people, they harbor unforgiveness. And um, one of the real, uh, I mean, points on that teaching that Jesus is saying is that um, we need to be examining ourselves. We're literally asking God to offer us the forgiveness in the same way that we forgive others. And many Christians never even examine their own heart. They, you know, they bear grudges against people, sometimes within their own congregations. Um, sometimes, you know, with family members or, or other people that are in their lives. And literally Jesus is telling us in these priorities to, to examine our hearts and say, God, you know, the glory of the gospel is that you've forgiven us of our sins. We're asking you to forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. That is an intense, intense aspect of this prayer. And um, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that because a lot of times we don't really do that self-reflection, that self-evaluation. Um, and my goodness, that's a scary thing even to say, God, I want you to offer me forgiveness to the same degree that I'm willing to offer it to the person I'm least willing to forgive. Whoa. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think about that? No, for sure. There, there are a number of aspects of the Sermon on the Mount, which what we're talking about is part of the Sermon on the Mount that are, that are scary. And for sure, this is one of the most, this is one of the, one of those scary teachings. You know, do I really, in my heart of hearts, want God to forgive me 
in the same manner and to the same extent that I've forgiven others. Um, to, to be truthful, no, I really don't want that. I, I'm hopeful for much more grace than I'm often willing to extend. Um, but then, um, as I mature in my faith and, and as I become more conformed to the image of Christ and as this is more of a reality that I am more gracious, man, what a, what a beautiful thing to be able to observe God doing in my life as to, to some greater extent, not a perfect extent for sure, uh, but to a greater extent, this is true. Um, it's a great, for me, it's a great assurance of salvation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to just speak briefly about what, what we mean by forgiveness, because I think that's a, before we, before we jump into forgiveness, maybe it's helpful to, to unpack what it is. Um, because some people have this idea that like, you know, I don't have to forgive everybody. Um, I can just sort of, I can hold a grudge unless they, you know, someone comes to me and repents. Uh, because there's a, there's a, there's a seeming contradiction between, for example, Mark eleven twenty four I think it is, where Jesus uh, speaks as if we should just instantly uh, forgive people who've wronged us. If we remember something uh, that they've done wrong, that they've sinned against us, we need to just instantly forgive them. But then in Luke 17, uh, he says, if your brother repents, forgive him. So do we just instantly forgive, like Mark eleven twenty four says, or do we only forgive when they repent? And my opinion on this, because there's different ways of looking at it, um, but my 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 thinking on this is that in Mark eleven twenty four, if if we do if we do uh, remember that someone sinned against us and we're still holding a grudge, we do need to we do need to forgive. And by forgive, I mean I don't require that person to sort of pay me back for what they've done wrong. Usually, forgiveness is is compared to forgiving a debt. When you forgive, it's kind of like you're releasing someone from a debt where they don't have to they don't have to repay me in order to gain my favor. I am choosing to favor yeah. them even though you know they're they're in, in one sense there is a debt that's still there, but I'm releasing them from that debt. So I think we need to do that. Um but it, now in Luke 17, my suspicion is that when he says if your brother repents, forgive him. It means in order to actually restore the relationship. I can forgive somebody in my heart in a moment, but yet restoring the relationship is a little bit different because to restore the relationship, they do need to, they do need to come up to me face to face and they do need to apologize. They need to repent. And then that relationship can be restored. So I would say that, that that's, that's my understanding of it. I know there's different interpretations of that that's just that's my personal take on it from reading these things and um and I think we I think we have to be willing to forgive and to the extent that we want God to forgive us and I like what Greg said because I think it was so uh, transparent he said this is this is a scary teaching I mean let's face it it's this teaching has freaked me out in the past to be completely honest because I I think have I forgiven people to the extent that I want to be forgiven uh do I do I want to like do I want God to harbor some unforgiveness toward me? If I don't, then I can't be harboring unforgiveness toward somebody else. I, I think we need to take that very, very seriously and for obvious reasons. If we're talking about substantive prayer, I mean, how often in our corporate prayer meetings is this explicit and, and, 
And not just, again, in a superficial way, like to actually give room to say, Lord, search us and know us, reveal us if there's any unclean way in us. Lord, show us if we have unforgiveness that we might be releasing this to you. Um, I mean, maybe you guys, the prayer meetings that you go to are more uh, substantive than average, but is that something that seems like this is something that's easily left off the agenda at many prayer meetings? Yeah, for sure. I. I can't think of a of a regular instance, you know, a series of instances where where this was the case. Um, if it's happened once, it doesn't stand out, but it it should. Um, the confession of sin, the acknowledgement of of sin, both uh, private and corporate, um, it it's definitely neglected in my experience. I can't say that 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 that's something that's common in our in our times of prayer. You know, there are people that will, you know, sometimes confess sins and things, but, but as far as like, I really need to forgive this person. I mean, I, I think it's, I think that's happened before, but I, it's, it's definitely not a, a regular thing. So yeah, it, it, it could happen. It can make more. people really uncomfortable. Um, and I, you know, I, I know that this is one of those areas that, uh, as a, a local group that I'm a part of, we, we could do better, you know, we could do better at, at this. Um, and it does, it makes people uncomfortable, but it's serious. I got a question for you um, specifically. Um, you're a pastor. I, I'm a pastor. Don't, do don't you, tell anybody. Do you, uh, do you find it difficult um, to like confess your faults before your congregation? And the reason I say this is because I, I've mm. had people tell me you shouldn't do that because your, your congregation is looking to you to be the example. And if you confess faults, then uh, then they're going to think that you're not a good example and maybe they're going to lose confidence in you or something like that because I'm, they're pretty obvious. He doesn't really need to confess. True. No, tr- definitely true. I, I, I wear my faults on my, on my sleeve. Um, he but, was talking uh, about me. I was talking about Joe. That, yeah. Joe. Okay. Well, I, I sure, I, I, I'm, yeah. there with, no, he was, I'm there with you. That was a shot. That was a shot at me for gotcha. sure. I, I um, shot at Eric earlier. So I thought I'd yeah, equal opportunity, yeah. you know? Yeah. Equality yeah. is no, important. I, well, uh, like I've, like I have, conf- like I have openly, I've openly uh, confessed, like I, okay, you know, I've, I've struggled with anger in the past. I've struggled with, um, you know, like um, getting too interested in worldly things, not necessarily sinful, but just temporary things that become an obsession of mine. I've struggled with other things too, and I've, con- I've like said this, and I think almost people are like aghast, like, oh my goodness, did he just say? Did this pastor just say that he struggles with stuff? Yeah, I do. Before I, before Joe before that. Joe weighs in, can I offer an observation before you jump in, Joe? And, and I don't want to interrupt, but you're not really fooling anybody. To, well, let me put it this way: to the extent that you are fooling anyone and they don't know those things, that just reveals how well they don't know you. Yeah. Um, I, I I think the the advice that they gave you was foolish because you know I, I know Joe well and. He has weaknesses. He does. If he, if he pretends like they're not there or, or vice versa, right? Like Joe could give you a, a book on mine. Um, and so to pretend like those things aren't the case is just silly. This is an issue that, that people bring up. And I appreciate you asking the question. Now, I have no problem admitting my faults. Um, I, I do as a, as a, an elder, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not a savior. Nobody's saved by me. I don't, I didn't shed my blood for my own sins, let alone for anybody else's. And so I would be lying to people if I, you know, painted any picture other than the fact that I too am a needy, uh, you know, 
man in need of a savior uh, and that Jesus is still saving me just as much now as, as he was before. And I'm clinging to him because uh, I, I am not yet perfectly conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And I do this, think that the qualifications of elders, you know, that these are serious. Um, you know, if you got someone who's just a mess, you know, who's just, I oh, just, my, my house is a mess and my finances are a mess and I, my prayer life's a mess. I don't know how to witness to anybody. And my, my, my lessons are a mess. That, that probably, that person shouldn't be a pastor. Um, and so, you know, there, there should be some, uh, ability, uh, some maturity that's in all of our leaders, myself included, that, that we should be held to a higher level of scrutiny. Absolutely. And there are certain things, you know, that, that would maybe, uh, would definitely disqualify me from continuing in my role as a leader, although they wouldn't disqualify me from remaining in fellowship as a member of the body. And so those things need to be held, uh, in, in serious, um, consideration, but my goodness, yeah, anybody who thinks, you know, there are some denominations where their pastors have to say, yes, I am sinless in word, thought, and deed. And there are people who come and s listen to this guy as if that's a real thing. Um, and, you know, there are sometimes there are these, uh, you know, controversies that, that happen because they find out that the pastor, uh, you know, raised his voice uh, one time at his, his kid or something. And they're like, whoa, I mean, can you believe that this guy's a monster? He's these anger issues. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess, are you not familiar with children? Um, <laughs> so and being a the, human. The, yes, uh, being a human being. Um, and so the idea that, you know, pastors need to be perfect. Um, yeah. Anybody who wants to spend time with me will realize very quickly. Um, I am, I am not yet conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And, and Greg's, you know, uh, he can say that because we know each other. Uh, he's, you know, spent time with me and my family and been in our home. Um, you know, by the grace of God, we are much better than we would be without. Um, but we're not, we're not perfect. And, and I think I would be doing my people a disservice, um, to not be real about my, my own difficulties and, and struggles. Now, does that mean I, I lay out every single, you know, issue that's going on with me? No, I don't, I don't think that that's valuable no. any more than I would think it's valuable for anybody to lay out all of their issues all the time. Um, but yeah, to pretend that I, I don't have struggles or that I'm, you know, anybody thinks I'm perfect. I mean, my goodness, what a, what an unhealthy <laughs> Uh, perspective that would be. And if we're willing to accept the biblical premise that we are, that our elders and pastors are to be examples, well, why wouldn't they be an example of confessing their downfalls yeah. when, when yeah. appropriate? Like, how am I as, as Joe pew filler if we're willing to take that how am i Why supposed to joe be greg oh pew yeah filler. sorry bill i i, no, I didn't <laughs> even think about it. bill pew filler um it how am i supposed to know how to do that if if the godly mature men one of you know most most predominantly elders pastors in my life aren't showing me how to do that mm -hmm. um so That's robbing that robbing robbing the body of the example of how to do it is not being the example that you're supposed to be. So, yeah. so yeah, do that when appropriate. And like, as a dad, am I supposed to pretend that I'm always right about everything or should I be the example of, you know, when I do something that's wrong, that I show them that I'm willing to acknowledge it, to ask for forgiveness, to, you know, make apologies when necessary, that I'm quick to offer forgiveness, that I'm quick to serve in love and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, these, these should be examples and, you know, anybody who's overseeing the household of faith uh, as a pastor or elder or, or, or deacon, they should be examples of those things of, of saying, you know what, when I screw up, I'm the first to admit it. And I'm the first to ask for forgiveness. And I'm the first to acknowledge that, um, that I'm frail and, and, and feeble and that we all need a savior. So yeah, anybody who pretends otherwise, um, you know, again, I didn't hear the advice that you received. 
maybe, you know, all your sermons shouldn't just be up there like, hey guys, I failed again. I'm a big loser. I'm just such a, pray for me, pray for your pastor. Cause I, you know, every, I can't do anything right. Um, that's, that's not helpful. So that's maybe ridiculous. they were. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, might be true. It might be. Uh, no, hopefully <laughs> not. Um, so anyway, uh, get, getting back now to principle six, um, that Jesus was saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. This is an, a call to spiritual warfare, realizing that there is, it's not just our flesh, it's not just the world. There is a very real spiritual enemy who is trying to get us to be disrupted. And I think that people often think about sin too lightly. I think if we're following the teaching of this, of what, what Christ is explaining, of understanding these principles, that he is now saying, lead us away from the temptation to not live in a way that we know you better, to, live, to, to not live in a way that we desire for your name to be hallowed in all the earth, that we would fail to realize the importance of your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth. Help us, Lord, to forget, not to forget that, that we, we need you to provide for us. And Lord, we're not going to go wander off on our own trying to live like the rest of the world lives. Lord, help us to uh, truly be people who live lives of radical forgiveness, even when people don't deserve it, that we are the first to be reconcili- reconciliatory, that we are the first to offer forgiveness, that we, we do, we don't, we keep very short accounts with people recognizing that you've forgiven us of so much more. So heaven forbid we would hold a grudge against anybody else. Um, I think those are the types of things that are being discussed. And, it, and I think that we make this much more superficial when we're like, Lord, I do struggle with anger. Help me not to be angry so that my wife won't be mad at me anymore because I keep yelling at the kids. Um, help me not to, you know, focus on spend too much time on football because, again, uh, my wife, uh, you know, she gets mad at me about that. And, uh, you know, and we make it about these really these smaller issues that are not nothing. And I'm not I'm not diminishing those things, but I think that we've we've so focused again, not God centered, but me centered, that we can take this principle and, and we really think of temptation in the wrong way, where we think as long as I, you know, instead of me spending all day watching football, I spent all day at the cider mill. And I was still me focused, still me household focused. I wasn't considering at all how to proclaim God's name in the earth and in either of those avenues. And yet for one re- in one way, like a good Pharisee or Sadducee, I've patted myself on the back because I think I did something based on my own man-made rules. I think that this sixth principle, um, lead us not into temptation, is, is much bigger and it needs to be understood in light of everything else that was prioritized in this prayer life. And then, especially as a corporate prayer, as we're praying these things together, that we're reminding one another, we're not separating from here to go live individual lives, pursuing our own kingdom, pursuing our own glory, pursuing our own comfort, pursuing our own wants, but that we're scattering into the earth as the people who, who bear his name to make him known in all the earth. Amen. Now, um, quick question, uh, Joe. Um, when Jesus says, deliver us um, from evil, mm. uh, I know that there are certain versions maybe or there's an alternative um translation that says the evil one yeah in other words not just evil like in a in a a general sense but but specifically because you mentioned spiritual warfare um Mm -hmm. the evil one satan is involved in this possibly possibly the most overlooked thing uh when it comes to following christ is the reality of a spiritual realm with demonic forces who are actively trying to turn Christians off the path and yeah. destroy their souls. I, I think that even in my own life, I have I I certainly don't want to blame demons for everything. I mean, if I get a flat tire, I don't assume it's a demon that did it. But 
but at the same time, I think we the need devil to, the devil goes before you throwing tax uh, on the on the road yeah, or something. Yeah, something crazy like that. But but at the same time, the Bible talks a lot about demonic forces. Paul talks about this subject repeatedly, and he says, "Beware of this." I think we we so often overlook the fact that we really are in a in a spiritual war, not against flesh and blood, but there it we really is not a spiritual war against flesh and blood, yeah. right? And we, we have to be aware that, that we have enemies that are trying to destroy us. I think if we, do, if we don't have that awareness and we just assume well, everything, it's just all just, uh, you know, th- my problems are all biological or my problems are all mental. It's just, uh, it's just because I'm, I have a chemical imbalance or something. No, maybe it's because there's actually a demonic force who, that is, is trying to get you to think a certain way, get you to fear, get you to, um, be angry at somebody or whatever. Uh, I, I mean, as much as the New Testament talks about this, it seems to me like there's very little discussion about this in, in churches. And sometimes either churches like don't talk about it at all, or they talk about it exclusively. And I think that that's we need to avoid those two things. But there, there's a demonic realm, and we are we are, and I think maybe I'm a little bit getting a little bit off topic here, but I think like. You know, in these fantasy novels where you have like the good, the the battle of good and evil, it, it, it to me it's like that really isn't entirely fantasy. Like there really is a battle of good and evil going on between the the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And if we don't engage in this battle, then we are going to be destroyed, and we have to have God's help. So when we pray, uh, protect us from temptation, deliver us from evil, from the evil one. We absolutely need to pray for that. That is an urgent prayer, and uh, if we're not if we're not aware of that, we can absolutely be just swept away by the forces of darkness. Now, this kingdom focus on the the the, con- the contrast, the competition between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness um, is absolutely massive. And I'll mention that that six part article series again that I that I wrote. It's free on our website. You know, I'll put links in the description. Um, you know, th- this is. This kingdom focus is not something that I always had, and you're, and you're right. I, I've, you know, there are some groups that seem like that's all they talk about. They talk about spiritual warfare all the time, and it can be silly, you know, casting, de- silly in my opinion anyway, casting demons out of every doorknob and whatever else. They fail to realize, you know, the, the world and my flesh. The, these are also very real enemies. But then there are others who completely ignore this, and we we don't we don't speak about um, the spiritual forces of this dark world at all. We we, we fail to realize that the enemy does prowl about as this roaring lion seeking those who make and devour. We, we forget all these things. And so, you know, I, I was really, um, uh, my eyes were opened, you know, when I kind of did that bigger, more exhaustive study for myself, just not, not just relying on what I'd heard, but really trying to understand what was Jesus really proclaiming when he proclaimed that the kingdom of God is at hand. And I, I know, you know, even some based of our, some of our, um, eschatology discussion, we don't necessarily all agree on exactly what those things mean, but hopefully we're all at least trying to, trying to understand and a big part of that, regardless of how it all works out, uh, is that there is a very real kingdom of darkness um, that is established on this earth. There is a very real enemy uh, who we need to not ignore and completely forget about. Um, and Jesus is instructing us to, to, to pray, Lord, deliver us from this one as we're seeking the establishment or, or the, the, the expanse of your kingdom. Um, somehow these principles have to be uh, at work. The world is not just stuff. There is a spiritual realm. There is an enemy without, but, but yes, there's also an enemy within. 
Um, we still do battle against the flesh. And so, um, you know, not in some overly mystic way, the armor of God, we do need to be focusing on that righteousness and the sword of, of the spirit. And yeah, we are at war. And so that makes prayer even more important. And that language that's used, warfare, right? Uh, again, this isn't, this isn't flesh and blood. We're not talking about bullets and bombs. We're talking about prayer. Uh, but this, this warfare that is happening, um, that really calls to mind a devotion and a seriousness, a weight, rather than this casual, you know, prayer isn't just this casual thing. Um, you know, there, there are multiple wars uh, or, or uh, conflicts happening in our world today. Nobody who's engaged in those is just kind of, you know, yawns when they wake up and like, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll participate or not. I mean, there's a, there is a, a reality that there's something going on. And so when Paul talks about putting on, you know, the, the armor of God, and he talks about the devote being devoted to prayer and the labor and the work that goes involved in this. Um, I think spiritual warfare, when people forget this aspect, um, you know, we do. We think that it's very easy for for prayer to be this superficial, casual addition to our, our everyday lives, or we're just doing everything in our own strength. We're not really focused on any spiritual principles at all. We're just kind of, you know, what what annoyances do I see in my own path? And so we're asking God to remove these, uh, you know, these various uh, problems, um, simply so that our, our, our walk can be more enjoyable. Um, and so I think that this, this priority, again, when understood in, in light of everything else really helps to open our eyes back up to that reality that there is an invisible world going on. There, there is an enemy who is seeking to keep people blinded to the truth, to keep people enslaved to their various lusts and impulses to not enter into the king. I don't think the devil cares at all about, um, you know, us wandering off to try and live like everyone else, just trying to live in the best neighborhood and have the best education and, and have people uh, applaud for us because we've, you know, uh, built our resume with some other, um, you know, accomplishments that quite frankly, our, our grandkids won't even remember um, and, and won't make a difference to anybody 50 years from now. Uh, whereas God's calling us to live for an eternal purpose, not chasing the wind, um, but, but being a part of what he's building in his eternal church. Um, uh, a redeemed people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every people group. It, but that does start with our families, or, or, or our sure. families are a part of it, right? Yes. Um, th there are, there's a need to lay down a healthy legacy within your home that your grandchildren will be affected by mm -hmm. um, that is the advancement of the kingdom. Yeah. And so the, the priorities, you know, I could make a lot more money doing other things. I could, you know, we could take my, I could take my family on a lot more vacations and, and there's a lot of other things that I could pursue, which wouldn't be giving them as good of a foundation as me, as the, the head of our household, doing what I believe God has called me to do. And if God didn't call me to be a pastor, I would quit right now and I would go do something else. And whether you're a pastor or whether you are, you know, uh, again, any, any, whatever work the Lord has given you to do, that's the question. Is this the work that the Lord has given you to do? Because I know what I was pursuing before I knew the Lord, and it was, it was, what am I good at? What can I make money doing? What do I want to do? These, these are the questions that everybody asks, right? Believers and unbelievers. And yet the question that Jesus is telling us to ask is not that. It's, Lord, let your will be accomplished. What would you have for me? And, you know, the, the, uh, Peter was a fisherman, and then he was an apostle. And so he walked in what Christ called him to. And that doesn't mean that he forgot everything that he was beforehand. But his purpose was completely revolutionarily changed. And if we're honest, many believers are pursuing exactly the same thing that unbelievers are pursuing. They're just trying to think about how can I go to the best school, get the best job, have the best retirement, 
you know, what do I want to do with my life? And um, that's why I think many unbelievers, they look at Christians and go, you guys are, you guys are hilarious. You think that you're better than us because you go and sit in a, a church building for an hour on Sunday morning and then you live like everybody else. All you care about is sports and the stock market and, um, you know, your, your business. Um, and so when I say I care about my family, Greg, when you say you care about me, hopefully we're, we're keeping it in line with biblical principles that maybe the best thing for me to do for my family is to move away from America and go live in a land that's hostile to Christ and, you know, eat beans and rice every, for every meal of the day. And maybe we all are, are killed even by some, some tribe. Um, because these are, these, if that's what God wants us to do, then that's what we should do. Not only the goals, right? Um, you're talking about ends. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we look like everyone else. We go, we, we're pursuing the same things. But, but getting back to prayer, by the same methods, we're using the same pragmatic methods that everyone else is using to get to what to the same exact goals, instead of um, that reliance and dependence upon God to provide. Um, as he wills. So praying God lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil or from the evil one may include God deliver me from the idea or the pursuit of me living to do what I think is best in my own eyes. And Lord, what is your will for me? And maybe that's uncomfortable, but God, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide what I need so that I can pursue your kingdom and your righteousness with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's ultimately the concept, the context of these, of this teaching. And I, I think if we're being honest, mm, we'd, we'd, we'd much rather just say, God, I had some, I had issues with my anger this week. Help me to be more patient. And we, we leave it there, which isn't a bad thing, but that's not really the depth of this priority, I don't think. And so if we really want to get into the real weight of what Christ is teaching, we need to go further. It's not, not that we don't pray about our individual stumbling blocks. We should. Help me to stop lusting. Help me to stop hating. Help me to be more forgiving. All those things are good, but the avenue isn't just so that we'll stop there. It's really so that we will live with a completely different purpose um, than the world is. Jesus said, everyone in the world is trying to live. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? You, Christians, live differently. Amen. Amen. Well, the last one, uh, the, the seventh principle of this was simply um, ascribing to God the glory that is due his name. And so, you know, yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And that's a, a powerful thing, just like we start by knowing who we're praying to, by just ascribing God glory. As far as I understand these priorities, that's uh, something that's important uh, to do, that, that when we come to God, we don't just say, hey, God, here's what I think I need. You know, give it to me. Hey, thanks. See you later. Uh, but that we, we really do uh, live with that purpose uh, of... Uh, glorifying him, seeking him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then uh, attributing to him the glory that is due his name and just really praising him for who he is. Um, hopefully, the better we know him, the more fruitful that is. And it's not just saying it for the sake, but, but that hopefully springs from our heart that, that we really do want these things. Because I imagine that there might even be some who are watching this go, I don't really want that. I'd rather still, I still want to go to the school that I want to go to, and I want to live in the neighborhood I want to live in, and I want to work the job that I want to work, and I want to have you know, the number of kids that I think is most convenient and I, I want to, you know, do all these things. Um, but, but God's way is better. What he's offering us is that which is truly life. And so to praise him for his plan, because it is better. Um, I think that that's a, a huge aspect of it as well. Uh, do you see this last part different? I, again, it's, it's maybe, maybe not actually included in the prayer. You know, if, if you're reading in your Bible, it's in maybe square brackets. So some, some manuscripts don't have it. Uh, but I think that this is well attested throughout the rest of scripture as well. Praising God for who he is. 
um, and ascribing to him the glory that is due his name. We were created to be God-centered people. We were created to to serve for his glory, the expansion of his kingdom. And so, of course, as we are approaching God in prayer, asking for the, th- the, the tools and uh, the things that we need to accomplish his will, and as he re- as he responds to us, it would only be natural to turn and give him glory uh, for those things. It, 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 it's a necessary consequence. Yeah. So uh, with all those things being said, you know, my, my four points on this framework were that substantive prayer should be a part of every gathering. I believe that that's important for a healthy church, that these prayer priorities, which we spent most of our time going through, these seven various priorities, that they should be emphasized, not our various preferences, um, that's not to say that we don't pray about the things that we that we want, but that we're emphasizing the priorities that Christ said. And and Greg, I like the way you said that. If we put those first things first, then then when we're praying about the the hangnails and the colds and the sniffles and stuff like that, we're still doing that in line with these right. You know, we we have the main things in place, and the secondary things kind of follow. Um, the idea that we need to be devoted and not casual, and that there is this aspect of spiritual warfare, which I think Eric was really um, emphasizing for us as well. Those are my four main points. Is there anything else that we've left out, guys, that, that is important for a healthy uh, prayer ministry, both in the local church and in our individual prayer lives, or do you think that we've covered it well today? What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm trying to rack my brain for anything that... Uh, consider it a joy. Um, I, I think we maybe touched on that, um, but consider it a great joy and a great privilege and a great honor uh, that you can go to God, that you can be heard, and that He He delights in giving you in in what you what you need. Um, this, like so many other of our Christian disciplines, um, we can treat it as a discipline rather rather than a privilege and a joy. And so, um, if you're, I guess, from a pastoral point of view, if you're struggling with this, um, don't beat yourself up over it. Try to orientate your 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 view on this as as a source of great um great privilege yeah i think that's well said this is not nothing that i'm saying is meant to condemn anybody um i say this to myself as much as to everyone else i i still need to grow in all of these things so rightly understanding the principles is a, is the first step but then actually walking in them and realizing that although this is difficult although that it, it is hard and although maybe we've failed in many ways um it is a joy to grow in these things. It's a joy to start to see like, Hey, I I can be set free from chasing the wind like everybody else's. And I can hold onto something that's actually truly substantive that I can learn to be content when God, you know, gives me my needs and I'm not constantly living this life of covetousness, being disappointed by all the stuff that I don't have. And I can be so thankful that God, you've given me breath today. I remember, um, being convicted. Uh, I, I was sick. Um, it was back during COVID. I'd gotten COVID. Everybody had different, you know, responses to that. I get rashes, you know, I get poison ivy really bad. And so I got this terrible COVID rash and I had this rash on the bottoms of my feet. And I remember like every time I would stand up, my, my, it was so, so painful. And I was convicted during that. I said, God, I've gone my whole life, more than 30 years of life. And I've never thanked you for the soles of my feet. I felt like, Lord, forgive me for taking for granted this amazing benefit that you've given to me, something that I've just never thanked you for. And it took me being greatly discomforted. And believe me, it was awful. It was awful. Uh, it was much worse than the sniffles. Um, 
and it was temporary, but it gave me an opportunity to say, God, I forgive me for being so ungrateful to you for some of these blessings that I've just, I've missed. And so I look at that conviction and, and I think it was, a, it was an opportunity for me to grow in my appreciation for what God has done. God has done so many wonderful things for us. And so he's not holding out on us and, and me chasing after, you know, how much money is enough? How much, how many experiences are enough? The eye's never satisfied with seeing, the ear's never satisfied with hearing. Once the belly's filled, it has to be full again. God is giving us something so much better. And so, yeah, if you're hearing any of this as condemnation, please don't. And Greg, again, you, I'm just uh, piggybacking on what you said. You said it very well. So I'm, I'm probably uh, muddying the waters that you have uh, cleared up for us. So thank you. <laughs> and thank and you I only want to add one more thing to that. Not only is it a great joy, um, but Christian, remember this, we are at war. You're, you know, I, I, I'm also kind of a, you know, Tolkien fan, Eric and I have talked about this offline. Ooh, uh, yeah, whatever. Sorry. That's because you're a heathen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we are, you are Christian at war. You're either fighting actively on the side of light. You're fighting actively on the side of darkness. And so therefore you have another issue or you're the ground being fought over. You don't have a choice in whether you're in the war or not. You just have a choice of, of what role you play and how effective you are. So not only is this a joy, um, it, it, it's your weapon. It's it's how you're fighting this battle. Do you want to be effective in this war, or do you want to be one of the ones laying by the wayside when this is all over? Um, stand up and fight, Christian. That's your call. The spiritual battle is real. So well said, Eric. You have anything else to add? Uh, anything that we've left out or haven't covered on this uh, discussion of this very important ministry? Um, you know, in our local bodies, and of course, this very important aspect of our own individual spiritual health. Well. The first thing that Greg said was kind of what I was going to say. I think we need to enjoy God through our prayers. Um, Amen. We, I think that's something that we need to do because, I mean, think about it. This, this life is preparation for the life to come. And we need to learn to enjoy God now because we're going to be enjoying him for all eternity. So we need to, we need to practice enjoying God, practice celebrating God, practice worshiping God. And we do, we do those things um, a lot through our prayers. Not, that's not the only way, but we, we do, um, do those things through prayer. So if we're practicing these things in our prayers, we're, we're preparing ourselves for our life in uh, our, our eternal life with God in the, uh, in the next, in the next world, world to come. So we need to keep that in mind. This is this is not something that's just like, well, if you want a better life, do this. No, this is a fundamental part of the Christian life. It's not optional. We have to learn to uh, to to be people of prayer and and learn to enjoy praying because we're talking not just to anybody, we're talking to the God of the universe, which is such a incredible uh, not unbelievable thing, but unbelievable just in the sense of it's just so it's so great that we get to talk to him. So I, I just, yeah. I think that's one of the most important things uh, I'd like to emphasize. It truly might be the greatest privilege that we have as Christians to enter into the presence of the living God at any time, uh, to enjoy his uh, fellowship, that, that we could commune with him. And so uh, the, the last thing that I would state is just simply, you know, prayer isn't this one-way street. It's not just us, you know, kind of talking at God, but uh, prayer is communion with him. And so Eric, getting back to even something that you said of starting with like, hearing from God through his word and then responding to God in prayer, uh, hopefully we do begin to enjoy that process more and more, that we don't look at prayer like, oh, it's one more thing I've got to do. In fact, if that is our heart, maybe examine yourself and see, like, do you, if you think that this is some uh, burden 
um, I, I don't think you've really understood the goodness of the gospel and what God has invited us into. Um, and so uh, I think that that about covers it, brothers. Uh, I uh, thank you once again for your uh, conversation. Uh, I'm edified by uh, your thoughts, and I thank you for taking the time to do it. If you're still watching this video and you got some value from it, click that thumbs up button. Consider sharing this and uh, maybe subscribing so that you won't miss any of our future content. And until we see you again, get equipped, obey your king, and glorify your God.